Well, welcome, church family. Excited to be together for an online worship service. And so I encourage you not to just let the music slide by, but to engage, to dive in and worship our Lord together. Stand up to your feet. Let's engage in some worship. This is truly God's amazing grace. Let's go.
Well, welcome ABF Online. My name's Pastor John. So glad to be with you again this week. We want you to know that this time is important, so begin to prepare your hearts uh, for this worship experience. Well, you've already been in worship, and again, thank you, worship team, for that experience. Hey, let me tell you about a couple things. Number one, we want to pray for you. So would you text us any prayer request at 97,097000? You can text us anytime, and we'll pray for you, and you should know that we love to do that. Also, some of you may be wondering, hey, what goes on at ABF? You've been watching online for weeks or maybe even months. Let us tell you a little bit. Go to our website at agurabible.org, and you can find out about all the ministries that are, that are involved here. And then sometime if you come to visit, we'd love to be able to greet you face-to-face. Hey, while you're on the website, you know that we can't do any of this without your financial support. And so we'd like you to prayerfully consider making a donation. It's very simple. When you're on the website, go to the Donate, a.k.a. Give tab. It's the Give tab, and we would love for you to partner with us financially. And then lastly, uh, you know that we need to prepare our hearts as we hear God's Word. So would you join me in prayer as I pray? Heavenly Father, prepare our hearts to hear your Word. And as we listen to it, may we be listening not just to write down notes and gather content, but we would listen so we would be able to apply it and live it this week. We're looking forward to that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so good to be together uh, for some time in God's Word, and hopefully you've had a chance to follow along in this series. We're working through the story of Joseph, and today we're in Genesis chapter 45, and we're just covering the first 15 verses of that chapter. But while you're turning there, I just wanted to uh, just highlight one of the things I've noticed over the years. My, my uh, kids, they always give me a hard time because they say I'm not known for being much of a crier. I don't uh, necessarily cry on uh, uh, the drop of a hat, but one of the things, I, I'm, I always push back. I'm like, one of the things that always gets me is these reunion videos. And let me explain what I mean by reunion videos. These videos where a family has been separated uh, for some reason, and they have the opportunity to, to reconnect. And when upon coming back together, it's always this tear-filled deal. And those always get me choked up. I saw this one this week that I thought you might like checking out. So take a look at this for a moment.
turn around. Please welcome home your son, Lieutenant Charles Draper. Oh, Daddy. So I was literally tearing up in my office watching that video, and I asked Justin, who helped me uh, cut the video, and he's like, yeah, I was tearing up when I was watching it too, so hopefully uh, you're blessed by that. There's something about relationships, if you think about it, really a gift from God. It's God's kindness to us. When they're working the way he designed them to work, they can really bring so much joy and meaning and significance to our lives. But on the opposite side of that, when they're not working well, if we're honest with ourselves, we can really do a number on relationships. We can really mess things up. But that's why I think this passage, Genesis chapter 45, is so compelling because it's a reunion story. It's a reunion of all reunions. It's been 22 years since Joseph has connected with his family. Can you imagine all the, the emotions that would be involved with this connection? And it's really a beautiful picture of seeing a separated family that's reunited, not just reunited, but restored, restored relationally. And so my hope is, is that you grab a few Kleenex boxes and you tune in and check out this passage. I think it's going to bless all of us. Let me just pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word and how it speaks to us and how these passages, although so much time has passed since they took place, they're still so irrelevant to our lives. And especially this one, as we get a glimpse of a different way of living, a life of forgiveness where broken relationships don't end at the grave, the opportunity to see them restored because one party chooses the route of forgiveness. My prayer is that we'd gleam a lot from this, that we'd take away what your Holy Spirit has for us from this, that we'd be a church that's known for being forgivers. We submit this time to you now and excited to see how you're going to work. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So let me just remind us just for a moment where we're at in the story of Joseph, you might remember that he had the opportunity through God's power to be able to prophesy this coming time of a famine. It was going to be a, a, a famine that was across the land. And this famine was, we're now in the story, we're two years into the famine and it's really just ravaging the region. So much so that it's influencing Joseph's brothers and family and relatives to the degree that they realize they need to come, they need to show up in Egypt to buy food. So they're in a place of pretty significant desperation. Well, upon arriving to 
Egypt, of course, they cross paths with Joseph. But it's an interesting scenario because Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. So Joseph takes some time, and it's interesting to watch how meticulous he is with this, this, these interactions. He continues to conceal his identity, but he takes time to run them through. Uh, the best way to describe it would be a series of character tests to see if they've changed much over the years, to see if they've uh, adjusted or if they're still the cold-hearted brothers that he once knew. So we're that, at that point in the story, and you can read about some of these character tests in Genesis 43 and 44. John uh, left off last week in chapter 42. But basically, a lot of times people will say like, well, why did he take him through this? It seems like he's trying to like torment his brothers. But I think he's really checking in, checking in to see if they've actually changed or if they're the same people. I think it's important you'll realize it relationally for us to forgive quickly, but I don't know that it we're necessarily called to, to, to trust people immediately. Here, he's taking time to let them develop trust. Trust is lost quickly, and we know, but it's gained slowly. So we're seeing that played out in the story of Joseph dealing with his brothers. Things escalate pretty quickly, though, where Joseph is trying to get their attention. And when Benjamin finally arrives, Joseph secretly places an important golden cup in his, uh, I guess you would call it his travel bag. And all of them are trying to make defenses for Benjamin saying, listen, it's, it's not him. We'll, we'll be, we're willing to take his place being your servant. And so after a pretty impassioned plea from Judah, where he offers himself to be a substitute for, for, uh, a substitute for Benjamin, so to, in order to protect his life and to protect his father, who he knows really cares deeply about Benjamin. And it's that point that we pick up in our story in chapter 45. So they're waiting to see what Joseph's response is. They've been caught stealing, or Benjamin has been. He's there left up to the mercy of Joseph. How's he going to respond? Verse 1, chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried. He said, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. So the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Stop there for a little explanation. Basically, Joseph couldn't keep up with the charade any longer. The emotion of the situation, seeing his brothers pleading for their life, pleading for Benjamin, uh, demonstrating obvious care for their father, leads him to the place where he's, man, he's, he has to reveal his identity. And he, maybe you'd make the argument that he had already seen the heart change that he wanted to see. So it's kind of cool to notice what he does. He asks everybody to leave. A lot of theologians wrestle through why he actually chose to do that. I resonate most with the explanation that he was trying to not dishonor his brothers and not make them look bad in front of others. I think that's pretty cool to think about that a, 
unforgiving spirit wants the world to know about your offense, but a true forgiveness is not looking or trying to shame your offender. This demonstrates what's been going on in Joseph's heart. And he's even concerned about protecting his brother's reputation. And what does he say to his brothers? He says just three simple words. I am Joseph. Really, if you think about it, that was probably their worst fear being realized. The one that held their future in his hands is the one that they had sold into slavery. So what does it say? How did they respond? It says that they could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. The word dismayed there can be translated into the word terrified. It's literally the idea of being frozen in fear. They couldn't, they couldn't even move an inch. I don't know if you've ever had that scenario in your life where you've been so terrified. My best friend Joe tells the story about being on a camping trip and being a, making the choice, which isn't necessarily a good one, to sleep outside under the stars and waking up to the feeling of a wet nose sniffing his face and realizing it was an actual bear. Talk about frozen in time. That's exactly what these brothers must have done is not knowing what they could do. They were terrified at what could come. No longer could they really make an appeal for for mercy. This is somebody that they had sold into slavery. But take a look at how it continues in verse four. It says, then Joseph said to the brothers, come close to me. That's a powerful statement. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here before it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Pretty crazy scenario here. So Joseph draws them closer and reveals his identity a second time. I'm your brother, the one you sold into Egypt, as if they'd forgotten somehow over those 22 years. I imagine he saw the fear in their eyes because you notice what he says to them next. He, he, he kind of tries to let them off the hook or comfort them a bit. He says, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here. Much better than any episode of Undercover Boss. There's not this big reveal and then a reckoning for good behavior and bad behavior. But instead, it's just pure grace. It's just pure compassion to his brothers. It's like never ex- something that would have never been expecting. You wonder why though? Why? How was that possible from this man? How was he able to extend that kind of grace? I think some of it is the clues in this section. He saw the bigger picture as to what was going on and who was in control. Listen to these words. It says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Basically, salvation was God's purpose, not destruction. 
This doesn't condone the brother's actions. I want to be careful there because some people can watch this and be like, oh, look, see, it's a, a green light for sin because God's going to work it out. Nowhere in this is their sin minimized, but here's the truth. I heard one pastor mention this. Forgiveness does not minimize sin. It neutralizes it. It takes the power away from it. This highlights the greatness of our God. And when you begin to see and realize that no sinner can do any evil that God can't use for his glory, it helps us with perspective on our own relational issues with people. When you're just like, all right, God, you're in complete control of this. You're reigning over all of this. You can take the seemingly worst scenario and you can make something beautiful out of that. It helps you when you realize that our God isn't waking up and reading the LA Times and shocked at the contents of it. Instead, it's all under, under his reign, under his control. He's completely understanding it. And the, here's the thing, is when you realize how he's in control, all of a sudden, some of the things that we would have gotten worked up over, you're kind of like, all right, God, you've got this. There's a little bit of a, more of a exhale, a little bit of, of a laid back perspective. You're not quite as easily offended. You're not quite as easily broken because you realize the bigger picture that God is reigning over all of it. We have a choice though. And anytime we've been wronged, and we all know this as we're talking about the topic of forgiveness, we have a choice how we respond to it. And so much of it has to do with our attitude. I like the pastor, Stephen Cole, he puts it this way. He says, the key to reconciliation is your attitude. And the key to your attitude is submitting yourself to the sovereignty of God. He's in control. He's in control. We can only control our actions in this and submit the rest of it to the bigger picture to him. But here's the reality also. I want to not belittle how hard forgiveness is. Because a lot of you are thinking through your own scenario and different people that you may have issue with. And you're like, Pastor Scott, you don't realize how the, I've been wronged by this person. I would uh, recommend to go a, a bit toe-to-toe -to -toe with Joseph, a little comparison on this, because he has a pretty good resume of offense. But he makes the choice that all of us have to eventually wrestle through the crossroad to decide how are we going to respond? Are we going to let bitterness take root or are we going to choose the path of forgiveness? I like one author puts it this way. It says, forgiveness is costly for the one doing the forgiving. Basically, it's absorbing the pain and the loss yourself. Rather than redirecting it, rather than holding on to it, rather than wanting to push it back at the person, it's saying, all right, I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to take the weight of your offense and it's going to stop here. It's going to stop with me. I'm not going to let it keep having life. I'm not going to allow it to keep continuing to influence and impact others. You think about that as it relates to the gospel. Isn't that what happened on a cruel Roman cross? It stopped there. Forgiveness stopped with one person. And as John Irwin often says, forgiveness is free, but it's definitely not cheap. Let's continue in our story. Verse eight says, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Pretty intense there. So it's a picture of not just forgiveness, but it's a, a picture of him wanting to pull them under his wing and to provide for them, to care for his family. Talk about a beautiful picture of what grace and mercy is intended to look like. It's not just saying, all right, I'm going to wipe your slate clean. It's also saying, I want the best for you. I want to I restore this relationship. I want to provide for you. Man, what a picture of God. Start to realize something after you spend a lot of time in the story of Joseph. You begin to realize that really everything with him seemed to always be centered around God. It's kind of a, maybe a, a not a rocket scientist uh, kind of observation, but you start to look at his story and you see the thread. He always points back to God and what he's doing. Think about it for a moment from what we've experienced so far. Remember his time with Potiphar's wife, how she kept on coming on to him. And instead of, instead of falling prey to that, what did he say to her? He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Against God, he recognized who he answers to. Then with the cupbearer and the baker there with their dreams, what did he tell them? He says, do not interpretations belong with God or belong to God? Again, pointing to God as the one rescue. Then with the Pharaoh, when he has the opportunity to interpret his dreams, when he could have absorbed all the glory for himself of interpretation, instead, he says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Again, taking the opportunity to redirect the glory from self to God kind of start to notice a theme here that he gives all the glory to God. Now with his brothers, look at what he says. He says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. All of the words, all of the opportunities that could be celebrating self, instead he's giving the glory to God. Notice that there's no delusion of life outside of God. He's had plenty of time to sit around in prison or whether is it what, while he was a, a slave and reflect on all this. And he's start, starting to formulate a conclusion that it all comes from God. It all comes from God. He's reigning and ruling over all of this. And there's definitely not even a hint of any delusion of the ability to self-rescue. He's realized it's only God who elevates and who God who, who, who lifts up, and that's the key here. The brothers are now two years into the famine, and they can't, where they finally are forced to come to Egypt as they've been running out of food, they're coming to that same exact conclusion, realizing that there's nothing that they could do to fix their situation. See, there's so many parallels 
to the gospel message in this account of Joseph. Joseph's realizing that he can't fix things on himself. The brothers are realizing they can't fix things on their, uh, by, by themselves. Really, that is the same conclusion that we need to come to, that we can't fix our predicament by our human effort by trying harder, by working more at it. It all is contingent on God coming to the rescue. Look at, he explains to them. He, sa he says, listen, you can come to Goshen. I can provide for you, take care of you. And look at the alternative that he says. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Basically, the alternative he's saying, listen, if you're not going to lean into this God of provision, the alternative is being destitute. Again, going back to the gospel message, if you're going to try to do this whole thing on your own, if you don't lean into his grace and your forgiveness, you're left with the same simple word, destitute, left wanting. This is the idea. It really helps us understand the, the gospel and how we relate to it as well. Continue in the story, verse 12, it says, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Imagine they're still having a hard time believing him. Verse 13, tell my father about all the honor according, accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brothers, Benjamin, and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. You notice up until this point, the brothers haven't said a word. Finally, in this relationship, as it takes steps being restored, finally communication is back on track. Start to realize in this story what a big deal family is how important it is to preserve family. Remember some years back, listening to the, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, he was talking a little bit and reflecting on his life up until that point. He described this, I've maybe mentioned this in another sermon, he described his life, he said, I feel like my life has kind of like been riding a train. Where it has different stops along the, the route. And at each, stops, each stop, there's people that get on the train and there's people that get off the train. And uh, he, said, he said, the older I get in life, the more I realize that the people that used to be on the train early on, most of them have all faded away. Maybe a few close friends, but the one constant after all the stops of all the years, he was now in his maybe probably early 70s at this point. He said, after all the stops over all the, the years, I'm realizing I look across that train and the people that I see on it is maybe a few committed friends and primarily who's on the train is family. That's who's left. You realize in this life that God intended it to be that way. God intended it to be for us his design was for family to be a constant in an ever-changing world. So for us to be ferociously fighting to protect family from the damage that can come from stupid decisions, stupid choices, people one person wronging another person, we have to, as the church specifically, fight to protect family. It's God's design. 
And the one way to protect family, the only way to protect family because it gets messy is through the road of forgiveness. Now, if there's anybody ever in history that would have had an excuse for holding on to bitterness, it would have been Joseph. He had been wronged in so many ways. Can you imagine being beat up, thrown into a pit, and then sold as a slave? That's, that's what's happened to Joseph. But look at how he responds. What does it tell, uh, the, what does it, it tell us happen? It says, it's a pretty graphic picture. On display, it says, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. It's the best reunion video ever. The emotion that was involved there, the forgiveness that was extended. Can you imagine the weight that these brothers have carried for the past 22 years, all of a sudden dissolving under the forgiveness that Joseph extended? Dissolving, all of a sudden the relationship was restored. It was brought back. This is the, we're told it says afterwards, I mentioned this, afterwards his brothers talked with him. Can you imagine those conversations, the reminiscing, the catching up on old times? I, I had an opportunity last month to go and visit a, a, a close friend on his 20th uh, wedding anniversary. And at that anniversary party, it was just in their home. In their home, they had, I had a bunch of high school friends that I hadn't seen for many years. And getting to just, to just spend the whole evening catching up, hearing old stories, joking about old things, it was amazing. But family is even next level. The family experiences that they would have had. Okay, what happened with this brother? What happened with your aunt? What happened with this person? Your, my cousin, what happened here? It would have been a beautiful time of reconciliation, of restoration. It's a beautiful picture of what the potential we have on the other side of forgiveness. But it has to start with someone initiating forgiveness. Joseph was that person. So the story plays out. We won't get a chance to read every chapter. This is a very long account because there's so much to learn from the story of Joseph. But basically, Joseph's father is finally brought to him. Their reunion is unbelievable. Joseph sets it up exactly as he describes here for them to live in the land of Goshen, where that would have been a very fertile land, where they got to enjoy the provisions of Egypt without being near many Egyptians who tended to dislike Hebrews. And so it was the perfect provision that, that Joseph set up. But I want, just as we're closing this series, just to try to personalize a few things from this. My question for you in response to this topic of forgiveness is what would you say is the condition of your heart with this topic? Where is it at? Are you soft to it? I imagine for some people listening, God brought to mind immediately somebody that they know that they've held on something to for years and years because of an offense. My, my prayer and my hope that there would be a softening of hearts because of the time in God's word here today that there'd be a release. Some of you might be saying, you know what, I'll, I won't forgive them until they come groveling and asking for forgiveness. But here's what we see from Joseph, Joseph's life is that forgiveness pursues. It, it looks to forgive. It doesn't sit back and wait for the, the opportunity. It looks for the opportunity itself. The power of God working in your life can allow us to overcome and to forgive any wrong, anything. God gives us, provides us the opportunity 
for that. So I believe some people, as you're listening, God's brought somebody to mind. And my hope and my challenge is maybe you take a step towards that. And maybe it's just a first step. Maybe it's just a, a committed prayer. God, help me with this forgiveness thing. I have a hard time releasing this. I need you to change and I need you to soften my heart. I know I personally want to be a, a person that's known for forgiveness. I don't want to be weighed down with people or offenses that people have wronged me. I don't want to hold on to that. I want to release that and live the life that Jesus describes, a, a, a life that's not full of burden, a, a life that's not carrying the weight, allowing him to play the rightful role as judge. Last thought, just as we wrap up here, as I close one more gospel connection. I didn't really push on it too hard when we were in the verses, but you think back to their first initially hearing that it was Joseph. He said something important to them in verse four. It was an invitation to come close. It's an invitation to come close. You see, what happens is when we have conflict, there's this tendency to divide, to be separated. But Joseph took the initiative and he said, come close to me. Draw close to me. And the gospel parallel is exactly the same for us today. That Jesus Christ, our many countless offenses to Almighty God, Jesus still makes that same invitation. Says, come close, draw near to me. I want to offer the forgiveness through my finished work on the cross to restore that relationship. I love how Ephesians 2.13 puts it. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. People's lives, if you think about it, are often imprisoned by one of two issues. Either they can't receive forgiveness or they won't extend forgiveness. Are either of those, my final question for you today, are either of those restricting your life? an unwillingness to accept forgiveness, to embrace whether it's relationally through somebody else where you're just like, ah, I just can't take that, that, that I won't receive that. Or is it between us and God? You know what? I know that he offers that. I believe that he did it on a cross, but I just can't accept that forgiveness. My hope and my prayer is that even while we're talking here today, that that would be something that you make the choice to embrace. Or the second group of person, the person that won't extend forgiveness Maybe today is that day that you take a first step in that direction. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage and this story and the, the ultimate plot twist. Something that you would have assumed this guy was just in the, the, the pit of life, but you took it and you restored and redirected it. And then you taught us lessons along the way. This last one, probably, if not the most important, one of the most important, the lesson of a different life lived, a, a life that's lived going down the road of forgiveness rather than bitterness. We recognize that we can't do that without your strength. Our natural bent is to want to get even, to hold on to stuff, but you've called us to something different. Your burden is easy. Your burden is light. My prayer is, is that we would walk down that path, even in response to this message. We know that we need you fully in order to do that. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face.
face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Sing that again together. Go before you and behind you and beside you. 
All right. Well, thanks again for being with us online. Can I bug you just to have a couple more minutes of your time uh, just before you head out? Every single November, since I've been here for the past nine years, we kind of have a, a fun tradition as a church to try to tackle some bigger projects. You might, if you think back, if you've been around our church for a while, some of the things that we've taken on. Two years ago, we had the opportunity to build our second Compassion International Church in Bolivia. And I here's on the screen a couple pictures from that. So cool to see they're, even though they're slowed down a bit by COVID, that they're up and running and ministering and caring for families there. That was a pretty awesome uh, project to be a part of. Last year, we did something we kind of rotate, usually something global that we do one year, then the next year uh, we do something more local. We've had a commitment to want to make this church more of a community center where people from all over the place in the surrounding areas are blessed by our campus. And so we raised the funds. You might be wondering what's happening with that. We raised the funds for building a playground on our campus. Well, I'm excited to announce that all the supplies for that playground have been ordered and we're on pace, kind of if all the shipping stuff comes through and there's no delays, to be building that playground in the month of February. So we're excited that we're not too far away from that. There's a couple uh, pictures here. Basically, one's going to be outside uh, where the Gaga pit, if you're familiar with our campus normally, is. It's going to be in that space. Uh, we're excited about the larger uh, playground structure there. And we're putting in that surface underneath that's like that bouncy material that kids uh, don't crack their skulls. So we're excited about that. And then our existing playground on the backside of the campus, we're also putting in new resurface. And you see in that picture a smaller image of a playground. We're adding one more structure over there. So overall, we're pretty jazzed about uh, getting to move forward with that. So those have been the last two years. This year, I wanted to give you a heads up on what our next projects are. Usually in the last two or three years, especially during COVID, part of the initial uh, part of our year-end projects is really catching up with budget a little bit. There's been some wonky stuff, obviously, in our world that have uh, left us a little bit of some catching up to do. Here's three things that we're trying to tackle at the end of the year. One is the first thing, catch up on budget. The second one I'm really excited about because we're in this nice pattern. This will be our, our third Compassion International Church where we're building the campus, coming alongside with the ministers there so that they can reach out to the entire community, meeting the needs of so many families. So our second project is doing that is uh, building a church in Colombia this time. So three different churches in South America. And then our third project, and these are kind of in the order as funds come in, is the monthly uh, mission projects that we do. If you've been here on campus, you've maybe seen each week uh, or probably once a month, we have a different missionary that shares some highlights from their ministry and we pray for them. Well, each month we try to highlight a specific need of one of our missionaries and to support them financially. So that's a third different area of giving. And then the last one, the fourth, it's really an open-ended one. Being on a campus that's 50 plus uh, years old, there's always different maintenance things. And probably this year more than any other, we start to starting to realize there's some things on our campus getting older, such as air conditioners. I think this last year we spent $12,000 just repairing a couple units and they get to the place kind of like a car where it's better to replace rather than to fix. And so those are the, the four different things that we're trying to raise money. You can see kind of the dollar amounts attached 
attached to that slide there. And so we're just asking people really the same thing that we do anything related to money is just take some time, allow it to be a spiritual exercise, go before the Lord. All right, God, how do I want to be involved with this? How do you want to use me? Whether it's giving above and beyond what you normally are giving to support the ministries here. Some of us though, maybe need to ask the question that my pastor when I was younger would always ask, is there anything that's in your house that's supposed to be in his house. Maybe it's catching up on tithe a little bit. Maybe it's something that you had committed earlier in the year in your heart to give. We wanna be in line with that. So we're praying that this is an opportunity for us to continue to further the ministry and impact of the church here locally, as well as around the world. We're excited to see what God's gonna do with that. If you have any questions, always feel free to reach out. And obviously, any way we can support you or be praying for you, please let me know. God bless you. Have a great day.